I'm Nate and I am Ethan and this is the hell episode mm. kind of a that's a that's a dark dark title yeah but um again we got to this theme this week by what we have we've got um we're gonna be reviewing the movie Deadpool which is the recent release featuring Ryan Reynolds um we're also gonna be then reviewing the album of the week which is the 1998 release from rapper DMX it's dark and hell is hot so there's hell once again and our beer of the week is Dead Guy Ale mm-hmm. from Rogue Ales. Yes, sir. Which, they're based out of Newport, Oregon. And this isn't actually an ale, it's a German Maybach that clocks in at 6.5% ABV, 40 IBUs. And it was created in the early 1990s to commemorate the Day of the Dead. And this is very interesting. It's actually like the official, unofficial, official beer of the Deadheads. Really? Yep, they, they really attach to this beer, and that's actually why it has national distribution. Well, that kind of ties into something I want to talk about later. Well, boom. So um, that's, again, a pure coincidence, though. But um, it is from the brewer. It's a German-style Maybach brewed with our proprietary Pac-Man yeast. Dead Guy Ale is deep honey in color with a multi aroma, rich, hearty flavor, and a well-balanced finish. Uh, it has picked up some hardware at the World Beer Championships. Um, winning gold and then also beer of the year on four different occasions, which is pretty impressive. I just think in general, this is a beer that um, is kind of highly sought after in a lot of places and it's it's seen as a very popular beer and one that people enjoy to drink. And it's, it's quite expensive here in Wisconsin. It, it's a lot cheaper than it used to be even just a couple of years ago, but mm-hmm. I, I got a six pack of it for uh, just under $12. So, and I mean, that is, if you don't drink a lot of craft beer, that probably seems like a really, really high, high amount. Memory. But, I mean, it's pretty reasonable because, uh, I mean, just a couple years ago, it was closer to 20 for this particular six-pack. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, I don't knock this beer, but it's not worth $20. It's barely even worth $12 because I think this is a good beer. But for that price tag, yeah, even twelve dollars is pushing it a little bit, I think. Mm. And even in the Maybach category, it kind of—I feel, I feel like it's kind of a middle of the pack type beer, maybe middle front. Yeah. But not to the level it was. But again, it got pretty quick national distribution because of the uh, the Deadheads. Yep, freaking hippies. Freaking hippies. I'm surprised. I would always, I would think that hippies would really like IPAs, you know, hoppy beers made yeah. with. Uh, Made with their favorite plants, cousin plant hops, if you know what I'm saying. If you if you can catch what I'm putting down. Yes. But um, but yeah. So on to our word of the week, which is hell. And the uh, the definition, hell is a noun, and it's a place regarded in various religions as a spiritual realm of evil and suffering, often traditionally depicted as a place of perpetual fire beneath the earth where the wicked are punished after death. That is deep and disturbing <laughs> terrifying so what does hell mean to you well that pretty much captures it but yeah yeah i mean personal torment torture constant torture can be either you know physical or mental 
because I think the, the, the classic depiction of hell is like that description said, a, a, a place filled with fire and pain and it's very hot, but I think, you know, and I think a lot of movies in recent years and books and, and even poetry has kind of cited hell as can be more than just that. It can be mental torture being put into a situation that is, you know, emotionally just strenuous and impossible to stand. In some ways that might be worse for some people, but yeah, when I think about hell, I mean, it's something to avoid for sure, yeah. hopefully, and it definitely has its religious roots, but for the mo most part, the concept of hell has been adopted into all aspects of society as kind of the worst place you can be. Mm -hmm. And very, it's like very controversial too, in, in terms of, to me, it brings up like the heaven versus hell debate. I always think about that, but I always think of just bad times. Like you always hear people say like, on a terrible experience, well, that was hell. Or that was hell to get through, you know. It was. Or my week was a living hell. Was a living hell, and yeah, stuff like that. It's it's just a dark, horrid place that, you know. I hope I don't end up there. If it exists. If it exists. Yeah. Or as a certain person we know says, but no, the machine just turns off. <laughs> I kind of but, agree with him. Yeah, well, that's a little bit, but um, yeah, it's just that definition. I think was the most intense definition we've had. It's pretty extreme. It is, <clears throat> very very extreme. Well, anyhow, in. In our Album of the Week section, and we'll get to it in case you're wondering, we are going to touch on the 58th Annual Grammy Awards. Yes, sir. Which occurred a week ago? February 15th. So, so is the 25th, 4th? Yep, it was last week. Last week, Wednesday. Yep. So, we'll touch on that and the winners and definitely give some opinions about that. But um, one of the high-priority things we had is we, we talked a few episodes ago about the Netflix content that's coming out, yeah, and it's starting to roll out very impressively over almost month by month. Um, I just recently started watching the show Love, which is Judd Apatow's new thing that he's doing. It's kind of like a, an adult version of um, Superbad. Yeah, I've heard good things about that too, mm -hmm. and I'm a fan of his. I know a lot of people kind of rag on on his career as a writer and director as his stuff is too long or this or that, but uh, I think maybe that format for him, a long-running TV show, maybe suits him a little bit better, uh, but I, I, I'm kind of on the fence on whether I want to watch, just because there's so many other things I, that I, I think are ahead for me, yeah. things I want to watch before I see that, but I've heard it's really great, yeah, so. I'm through, I think I'm up to episode five now, my wife and I have been watching it, and it's definitely like Judd Apatow in his element. That's good. Definitely, because, you know, kind of the hipster L.A., feel thing that he has going on but they're releasing a whole bunch of stuff i know you're real excited about the unbreakable kimmy schmidt yes that's going to be coming up in april a house of cards march 4th marvel's daredevil season two is going to launch on march 18th uh, grace and frankie also coming up on may 6th i personally didn't watch that i heard reasonably good reviews about it yeah i'm yeah i mean i'm most excited for house of cards for oh, yeah. sure uh i mean i've really enjoyed the first three seasons maybe season three it was a bit of a downward trend, but uh, I, I think they were maybe uh, stretching the story a little thin because they wanted to release this season during an election year. Um, yeah. So I'm, I've got real high hopes uh, for that. And Daredevil, I'm getting close to watching that. I, I recently finished watching Sons of Anarchy, which is not a Netflix original, but uh, I finished watching that, which is on Netflix. Um, and I'm currently watching The 100, which is a CW show that's kind of a mix between uh, Lost and Battlestar Galactica, which isn't anything spectacular, but I'm hooked on it. But uh, 
I'm definitely going to be watching Daredevil because I want to watch it because I'm a big fan of the Marvel shows. And season two is, like you said, in March 18th. I mean, that's Coming three weeks bench. away. Yep. So I, I got to get got to get ready for that, I think. But uh, yeah, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt may be the one. Tops the list. Could be. Yeah, I, I thought that show was hilarious. And it's. I think one thing to explain is that you and I don't consume a lot of live TV. No. I know I don't really. We don't. I don't even. We don't have cable at our house. Even mm -hmm. we just have Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu Plus. Um, yeah. Although I've been, we've been watching the, the 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 sitcom. I don't know if you can call it a sitcom. I guess it is uh, Superstore. Superstore. Which is so that's, yeah, I've seen. I which, see, it's sort of like that. The Office set in a retail store, and it, it, it's not great. There's a lot of kind of derivative things, but we're hooked on it, and it's really funny. And if you're watching stuff on Hulu Plus, there are commercials, even if you pay for it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's as close to live TV as I get, unless it's sport, uh, football season. Yeah. <laughs> or the Oscars, which are coming up this coming weekend. Up to, yeah. We'll talk about that as well. And for me, I'm, I'm in the middle of The Sopranos right now. Wait, is this your second time three. watching it? This is my fourth Damn. time watching nice. it. It's my favorite show of all time. I get it. But um, I'm actually currently at a pause right now for the episode Pine Barrens, which any... Big Sopranos fan. Don't spoil it. I've never seen you that. you got to just prep for that episode. That is in a classic, classic episode. So I'm going to be watching that soon. But yeah, coming up, though, I'm going to watch Sons of Anarchy. Obviously, nice. I'm watching uh, Love. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt will probably be in the rotation, too. TV has gotten so good in the last you know, five to ten years. I think in, in the early 2000s when we saw shows like Lost and Heroes and certainly The mm -hmm. Sopranos. I, I feel like those, I think we talked about this previously, but it's it, we can't stress enough that those were kind of the shows that changed serialized television into the juggernaut it is now. And how a lot of people would argue that television is more prolific and consistent than a lot of t, uh, a lot of film is these days. I think that's debatable, but the fact that there's any debate at all, I think, says something. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, and, it's, and I've noticed too the trend now is just more, more, more. There's even, there's, I mean, there's just so many shows out there. Mm -hmm. Each network's carrying 10, 12 series at a time. And Netflix now has that same count. I'm sure you'll see Amazon Prime and, you know, Hulu's even producing original content. Well, Amazon Prime has had success with their show Transparent. Mm -hmm. yep. I mean, that's won a lot of Emmys and, and all that. And yeah, Hulu Plus, I think, it was either, maybe it was, that was Amazon who did uh, Mozart in the Jungle. Yep, I watched that. That was... Okay. That was pretty highly acclaimed, yeah. but yeah, I mean, that's, again, yeah, those streaming services are really changing the game. Big time. And that's great, because yeah. some of the best shows out there are on, on there. Can't take that away from them. Yeah, I have to say, House of Cards takes the cake from marketing, because they did mm. add a oh, campaign right. stuff. They did, like, an actual, like, one of those stages you always see the politicians on with the signs, and people, like, gathered around it thinking it was a political rally, and it was just there well and he came last night it was either last night or the night before at the smithsonian in dc they unveiled a presidential portrait of francis underwood who mm -hmm. is the the lead character in house of cards and kevin spacely spacey actually showed up to give his speech in character as a promo for the upcoming season he's such a good actor too i think he i've always liked his work i think he yes. adds, adds a certain depth to it yep. but um for sure but yeah, awesome. So this is the hell episode where we're in it to win it now. Yeah, even well, if it makes us sad, but I don't think it, it will. Sad. I don't think so. We got some good stuff. And up next, what we're going to do is um, review Movie of the Week, which this week it was uh, Deadpool. Saw mm -hmm. it last evening Yes. in the Dream Lounger seats. 
Yes. Which are like going to be everywhere pretty soon, I'm, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, next up, movie of the week. And again, album of the week is what you're going to be hearing uh, throughout the breaks from DMX's debut album, the 1998 release, It's Dark and Hell is Hot. And um, yeah, we'll be right back. Movie of the week coming up next. Enjoy the music. Yeah. I'm right here, dog. Where my dog's at? We right here, dog. Where my dog's at? What must I go through to show you shit is real? And I ain't really never gave a fuck how niggas feel. Drop and I still, not cause I want to, cause I have to. And don't make me show you with the back. If you don't know by now, then you slip. I'm on some bullshit that's got me jacking niggas flipping. Let my man in them stay pretty, but I'ma stay shitty. Cruddy, it's all for the money. Is you with me? Get the bitches. Welcome back into Weekly Neurosis. This is the Hell episode. And now it's time for Movie of the Week. Mm. So um, we're going to review uh, Deadpool. Once again, just a reminder, and for your information, this review will be 100% spoiler-free. Yes, sir. All right, so Deadpool. The plot is a former Special Forces operative turned mercenary is subjected to a rogue experiment that leaves him with accelerated human, or sorry, healing powers, adopting the alter ego Deadpool. Uh, the cast is starring Ryan Reynolds, Marina Bakarin, Ed Skeen, TJ Miller, one of our favorites, Gina Carano, Brianna Hildebrand, and Stefan Kapisic. Sounds right to me. Whatever. Kapisic. Kapisic. Was he the... Uh, I'm guessing the... Um, the bad guy? Yeah. Okay, yeah, sure. Kind of had a Russian look to him. Yes. But um, it was directed by Tim Miller, produced by Simon Kinberg, Ryan Reynolds, and Lauren Schuler donner written by Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick and music by Tom Holkenberg. Um, the film locales were basically mostly studio, um, and also Vancouver as well, so good old Canada. Um, it is based on Deadpool, the Marvel Comics anti-hero, which was created by Fabian Nikenza and Rob Leefield, who first appeared in the New Mutant number 98, which was released in 1991. If you want an original print of that, Cost between two hundred to four hundred dollars, mm -hmm. depending on condition. Sure. They always say that. So Ethan, what did you think of Deadpool? Um, I really, really liked this movie. I thought it was incredibly funny. Uh, it was really well paced. It was a solid action movie, and a comic book movie with the massive twist of being kind of a meta movie in a lot of ways, and kind of being a critique, sort of a uh, breakdown of the whole comic book movie genre and some of the tropes they have and, and while I, the irony of the movie being it deconstructs that but is also just as entertaining at doing those same tropes uh, I thought this was really funny and really surprisingly clever um, really refreshing to have a, a comic book movie like this um, kind of go the distance and be what it had to be to be so entertaining yeah 100% this, this totally surprised me I going in Honest to goodness, I think it was me kind of... Because I usually try to avoid the movies, reading reviews or about them. Sure. I had no idea it was rated R, so I absolutely loved how raunchy and kind of funny it was. But I think there, the movie does two things. It's a great superhero movie, uh, comic book movie on its own. But when you add that added layer of the humor, it's, it's a whole different beast. And I thought that with the humor that they had, their timing was just exceptional. Mm -hmm. With like the little jokes that they dropped in. Here and there, the movie even makes fun of itself yeah. on several different occasions. But that's really that's really the difference that kind of I think makes this movie transcend into that upper echelon. Oh, definitely. I, I mean, of superhero movies of the last couple of years, this is probably my favorite one of them. And 
I think it's one of the better superhero movies overall. Um, but what you said about not knowing that it was rated R to me is kind of interesting because I was kind of the, and you, you were kind of blown away by how gratuitous and violent and, and shocking it actually was. I was the opposite. I knew, absolutely knew this was rated R. I was expecting it to be bloody and violent and have a lot of, you know, uh, rate R-rated humor, but I was still surprised by it and I was still taken aback by it. So I think that speaks to its strengths that people with completely different expectations, I think really both, both of us enjoyed the movie quite a bit. But uh, yeah, this movie just, it, it was pretty much exceptional. And like you said, the, the humor being perfectly paced that just it shows how in their element everybody was who made this movie. Mm -hmm. From the actors to the people who wrote it to the people behind the camera. Everybody knew what this movie had to be and they all did it pretty much perfectly. With I have very few complaints about uh, those elements in this. Yeah, and they, I mean, they had a challenge because the Deadpool character, which I researched coming into this episode, I knew we were going to see the movie. Mm -hmm. He's very kind of sarcastic and kind of this anti-hero. He's kind of a challenging character to depict. And I thought that just from by casting Ryan Reynolds, that was like a huge step in the right direction. Because he kind of, you know, he's Van Wilder. You know, to mm -hmm. me, that's his kind of kind of thing. Well, but. What, what you should keep in mind, I'll interject here, with Ryan Reynolds, is this is not the first time he's played Deadpool in a yeah, major 2009. movie. 2009. He played Deadpool in X-Men Origins Wolverine. Yep. And they totally make fun of that in this because in that rendition, his mouth is sewn shut and he's unable to speak. And it was supposed to be this dramatic turn. And in that movie, it was supposed to give him, the character of Deadpool, a reason to be so angry and all that. But silencing a character like Deadpool, who were 50%, if not more, of that character's entertainment value is from his dialogue. That was just one of the worst decisions ever made creatively in a superhero movie. And this movie just takes complete and utter revenge on it while teasing the same actor who we're watching play it. Ryan Reynolds is making fun of himself in this movie mm -hmm. frequently. And it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that a movie that is so critical of this type of movie, while being that kind of movie, can exist. It's kind of mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. But I thought, you know, just in how they laid everything out was just exceptional, though. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was very stunning, just based on the audience that we were with. Oh, I felt were... like there was humor for... The 12-year-old that's going to go see it that apparently is not supposed to see it because it's rated R. <laughs> to the, I was sitting next to like an, uh, an older gentleman. That dude was dying. I heard him laughing. Yeah. And he was <laughs> just laughing. There was like period jokes like from like the 1970s. I don't know how far back it went, but yeah. it was this huge range of, of humor that's inserted and that they throw at you. Again, at a, you know, almost a breakneck speed at certain points. But again, the timing is so perfect that it just works. Yeah, and to, and to kind of talk more on the strengths of the movie, uh, it being an action comic book movie, I think the action and the special effects are pretty great as well. Mm -hmm. Having an R rating means the action is more bloody, it's more violent, and it certainly is that, but it's not excessive to the point where it's all the focus is there. It's way more violent than your typical comic book movie uh, to the point where it's R rated, but it's not ridiculous. And also, you know, there's a lot of CGI. There's a completely CGI character in the movie that looks great. It uh, looks better than a lot of fully CGI characters I've seen before, and I just thought the action was easy to follow. It was super intense. I, I was really on the edge of my seat in some parts in this. Uh, so there, too, is an action movie It works. Yeah. But it had a lot of stuff going on. I like how they kind of made fun of the X-Men 
in a lot of ways. I thought it would, that to me was just hilarious. Cause... Well, it's because it's kind of set in the same universe, mm -hmm. and 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 I think we'll see more crossovers, which we can talk about after we're kind of done gushing over this movie. Because I actually have some pretty some negative things to say about this that don't necessarily have to do with the movie itself. Interesting. It's, it's very confusing, but yes, it. I mean, it's set mainly in the X-Men universe, and it totally pokes fun at that mm -hmm. to absolutely hilarious effect. Yeah. I mean, it totally works. Well, just how, like, ridiculous in concept the X-Men are, you know? Yeah. Like, living in this this house and doing... They, they really touch on all that. But Ryan Reynolds was great. Oh, he was born for this. Yeah. I mean, this is his... I would... Maybe I'm being hyperbolic, but this is the best I've ever seen him, I yeah. thought. And I feel like the supporting cast, they, they were pretty minimal mm -hmm. overall, but they were still, each and every one of them, if they had maybe three lines, like his roommate, I'm pretty sure, doesn't have, she's not in the movie really for that long. The blind lady. But she's hysterical. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And they just, they add these characters in so perfectly. Yeah, I had the note too that there, there's there's a lot of smaller parts in this movie, but mm -hmm. they're all perfect. Yeah. The, the, they're, 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 there's nobody that kind of sticks out as being weak. Um, for me. No. And yeah. shout out to TJ Miller. Big yes, fan. Yes, indeed. Big fan. And he was funny here. He was very funny. Yeah. He, he was more restrained than I thought, which was probably thin, good. Cause thinner. He, yeah. He was very thin. I felt like he, I was like, whoa, you're like yeah, maybe a smaller version of yourself. But no, he he did great too. Yeah, he was funny. Again, kind of a bit part, but it worked. He Everything. had a little bit more screen time than some of the other minor characters. Though. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, I, I again, I, I want to kind of return to what I was saying. I have some some concerns about the movie and mm -hmm. some things about it that kind of hold me back from saying that I honestly, as much as I like this movie, I don't think I can call it a great movie because I have concerns about it. And mainly, first of all, even though it's very funny the whole way, there are a lot of people who are not going to get like seventy five percent of the jokes in yeah. here. If you don't understand anything about superhero movies, this that. First of all, the movie's not made for you, so I don't know if you have any interest in this either way, but a lot of the jokes here are based on context. The target audience is very clear in that sense, but I do think people who are unfamiliar with the material, the, these jokes might fall flat for them. Yeah. And that's absolutely. something I'm concerned about. And also, while it's a clever twist in the genre that makes fun of the formula and also is part of the formula, I think I was surprised with how formulaic it was at parts where I was like, okay, this is making fun of the origin story, but then it is an origin story almost to a fault where I knew exactly how this was going to end yep. the second it began, which isn't a huge complaint, uh, but it was still something I was kind of thinking of. Yeah. And I think for me, the, the biggest negative I had, because it had to, they had to kind of encapsulate all of Deadpool's story into one movie. Mm -hmm. that there, there are little points throughout the movie that they kind of just slip in and don't explain right and it's it's there's and there if there was one i wouldn't really have an issue with it because that happens it's a movie it's not a book right, right. you know but if if it with this case it was like three or four different things that they kind of throw at you don't back it up you have no idea no context to deal with it but it's because right. they're covering this huge yeah. you know time period mm -hmm. and realistically technically speaking if this did fall flat you know marvel Fox has to think to themselves, well, this is the one and only. we got to cover this huge area. Well, know? right, and there's my other concern, saying this is the one and only. Where do you go from here with this story? Right. Can you mix this in with the X-Men, which sounds like the plan? 
I don't think it can really be done. Now, this is me being very cynical. I would love to eat my words and be wrong, but I do not think this movie is going to age well. And that's the biggest issue I have with this, that I think it's a movie that's based largely on the context of what superhero movies are like right now as we sit here and talk about this. I just don't think it's going to age well, and if a sequel comes out, what's that going to be like? Is it going to be making fun of sequels? That's something we've seen before, and how clever can it really be? I'm just afraid that where they take this next is going to diminish what's great here. And like yeah. I said, totally, totally outside of how enjoyable the movie it is, but it's just something I'm concerned about. I don't feel like in 10 years I'll watch this and get the same impact as we have now. Yeah, and I think, well, with the X-Men films, they're so spread out and, like, planned, you know? Like, I think, aren't they planned, like, eight years out or something ridiculous like that? I think that? that's more of the Disney Marvel is yeah. more planned out, but I'm sure Fox has... But those are like massive releases, and those those are like you know these giant sun-like structures that they. I mean, the X Men movie was advertised in the Super Bowl, right? You know, so Apocalypse. How is that gonna assist in this going? And I, I think really when it comes down to it, the writers are gonna be stuck between like a rock and a hard place. You either do a sequel to this and don't include any of the characters, mm -hmm. or my concern is they try to bring this into the X Men universe as we know it and. The tone is so different that I just have a hard time seeing them blend in a believable way. It's just a, it's a concern I have, and it was kind of in the back of my head this whole movie. But having said that, this is a movie I would love to see again as soon as possible because I feel like I was laughing so much that I was missing jokes. Yeah. <laughs> I might actually see it as soon as this weekend. Nice. Just with services. But yeah, what would you rate this? 1 to 10? I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. It, to me, it was just shy of greatness, just shy of it because of the reasons I said, but man, this is hilarious. It's well-made, it's action-packed, the acting is great, and it's just kind of the perfect superhero movie for right now. Yeah, this is really dumb. I have it an 8.52. That's dead, okay. Dead even, but no, I, I thought it was just shy of that because of the, the stuff they slip in. Sure. Because I'm, I'm all about the details, and it it just didn't quite, you know, they, they had to cover this huge area of space, and... You know, that's inevitable, but yeah, 8.5. Still, I would highly recommend, go see it. It's going to be entertaining Yeah, I think for it, adults. And I didn't know Jack about Deadpool, the character, really outside of what kind of the, 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 the surface layer of this character's background is just by Googling him and some of my more nerdy friends, don't mean that in a bad way, kind of what they've said about this. Um, and I feel like people who know nothing, even less about superhero movies, are still really liking this, so... Yeah, I gotta, gotta go see this. It's a must-see. Yeah, good good and entertaining, but yeah, great movie. I agree with you, though. I have absolutely no clue of where they're going to go from here because, you know, you kind of have to follow along with what's getting released. I know they have these big, long, planned-out movies. And no, I just, I'm a, it's a fear I have, and like I said, I'd love to be wrong. I, if I'm wrong now and the next Deadpool movie is just as good as this, awesome. <laughs> yeah that would be great i'm just not seeing it right now yeah but um another big big movie news onto our you know uh, pressing news item specific rim which was a huge movie yes huge release specific rim 2 kind of shocked the world actually today by saying they're going with a f basically first time director yeah, pretty much to, to feature films. Yep, he's he's basically only ever directed TV before this. He's been a program runner for movies before, mm -hmm. but to go from you know Guillermo del Toro to this guy, Stephen 
Stephen Denight, who is very accomplished. Don't get me wrong. He has For a sure. good resume. But really shocking news. I loved Pacific Rim. Oh, I know. That's that's one of my favorite kind of action movies of the last couple of years. And uh, I, I kind of saw something like this coming because the news of this being on and then it not being on and getting canceled and restarted kind of made me think that when this does happen, I bet you Del Toro won't be as involved. Mm -hmm. uh, so this doesn't surprise me a whole lot. I'm just happy it's happening because... Because quite honestly, as much as I adore that first movie, if you look at Guillermo del Toro's style as a director, Pacific Rim in a lot of ways is his kind of least uh, quote-unquote Guillermo del Toro style movie. Absolutely. It's a movie that I, I think could have been made by another director to just as successful uh, of an extent. And since they have that blueprint of the, the, the creatures and everything laid down, I'm not overly concerned about this. I'm just pumped it's happening. Mm -hmm. So... Because you're in a lot worse seat, you know, doing an original versus a sequel. So, I mean, the groundwork, like you said, the groundwork, the blueprints there. I mean, people were going nuts about this day. Like, oh, this series is ruined. And Well, if I remember correctly, people weren't exactly crazy about the first one either. Yeah. It didn't get great reviews, and I don't think it, it barely made its budget back in the U.S. It was a big hit overseas, especially in Asia. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think it's great that it's happening. Um I think a lot of times actually having a director who's never made a feature film before is a good move. I think some of the best movies in history were done by first-time directors. Mm -hmm. People who didn't have that stigma of a, of a style or tropes or certain actors they were working with. They come in, they're young, they're excited, they're more creative than they've ever had the time or money to be before. I think this could possibly be a great movie. Yeah. And if anything, it'll, I'm sure it'll be entertaining. Oh, yeah. When I first saw previews for the original Pacific Rim, I think I was more excited of like the epic part of it. I could tell it was just going to be one of those movies stuff's blowing up and crazy, you know, just ridiculous things you could never even wrap your mind around. But Yeah, for sure. I'm sure he did, he did after all, create Spartacus, which mm -hmm. in its short realm was, was a good, good show. I've never seen it, but uh, I've heard... I've, I've, I have a... Sand and... What is this, Spartacus? That was like the prequel one to the... Yeah. Because, yeah, there's kind of a long history with that show. But yeah, and Daredevil, I, I mean, that's the Netflix series, right? Mm -hmm. I've heard nothing but good stuff about that. So yeah. if he's the showrunner for that, he, I think he knows what he's doing. Yeah. All good. And also, too, then, now, the we've kind of talked this to death. The Academy Awards, ongoing, <laughs> even after they changed the rules... People are still complaining. Basically, um, again, lack of African-American nominees at the ceremony. And a number of attendees are now skipping the ceremony very publicly, I might add, to attend a benefit in Flint, Michigan. Uh, it's being pitched that they're turning their backs on the awards ceremony. Mm -hmm. This is just headline surfing, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I, I just again, we've talked about it before. I feel like going after the Oscars... Like this was the wrong is the totally wrong way to address a bigger issue of diversity, mm -hmm. um, and I think you know it's great to go and support the, the the people of Flint, Michigan, and everything. But if you're doing it just as a rebellion against the Oscars, it's kind of like crying wolf to me. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a lot to say on it's it. It's kind of my my thing on it is uh, they changed the rules, so at this point it's kind of like when you lose in the playoffs in baseball, you wait till next year. Mm -hmm. Let's see what next year brings around. Well, and, and it's just one of those things where it'll no, not everybody will not be happy with the Oscars. Mm -hmm. It's too it's too small of a group to satisfy everybody, 
And, uh, you know, if anything, this constant controversy that the Oscars garner every year will maybe uh, surge its popularity a little bit. I don't know. I, th- I mean, this. I think this will bode in its favor. Because I think people <laughs> will want to... Honestly, people will want to see what's Chris Rock going to say. You know, That's it's true. like... Yeah. It's, it's kind of got to... They played, they, they played their hand well, the Academy Awards did, mm-hmm. in terms of changing who can vote and who can't. I think that will help. Uh, but we won't really see the impact of that until next year. Um, mm-hmm. with who's nominated and everything. Um, but, yeah, I think there were good changes as well. Uh, and, you know, you can't make everybody happy. And I'm not saying that there's not issues with representation of certain races and all that in Hollywood. But, uh, again, going going after the Oscars as if they're the people who are responsible for those issues, I think, is incredibly short-sighted. Uh, so, I don't know. Yeah. But the speaking of the Academy Awards, the uh, obviously just around the corner, about to happen. Yes. The big battle right now is The Revenant, The Big Short. There's a lot of spotlight, spotlight as well. Mm-hmm. But you know what's predictable, what's not, and I feel like this year there's a lot more unpredictable. Right. I mean, I can go through the categories, and I personally do think that in the last couple of weeks, the major categories have become much more predictable mm-hmm. but they are still a little bit more up in the air i think i could i could easily i'm not gonna say because i don't want to you know have anybody cheat on their pools but i <laughs> i th- i think i think people um i think if you do a little bit of research you could pretty much see who's gonna win in the best film director uh, actor actress categories um but but this seems like the year that there could very well be an upset we haven't seen any shocking upset in a while and I think a lot of people are kind of dreading that Leo won't won't win his Oscar, even though he is by far the favorite, and that there will be a, a shocking last-minute twist and somebody else gets it. Uh, would, it. would people be upset? Yeah, but would people talk about it for a while? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is that? What do, what, what do they value more? As we're speaking, I can see the Oscars TV ratings just... I know, right? <laughs> and the Oscar Open goes to Brian Cranston, and everybody just screams what at their television. That would be amazing. I mean, yeah, I would I'd be I, happy for Brian. I, I want Leo to win, but I would be like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> I would go on Twitter immediately to see the shit storm flowing out of people. <laughs> yeah. But it's bound to happen. But yeah, I, I'd say best director is kind of in the bag. Yes. Uh, best actor, Leo. Leo. Yeah. Best actress, Brie Larson. Brie Larson. Best supporting actor, Sly. Yep, I think so. I think that one, he's the favorite, but I think there could be an upset. That could be an upset category, and I think it could, it'll probably go to Sylvester Stallone, but I think uh, Mark Ruffalo could be a dark horse winner there. I think that's something we should be prepared for. I would for. lose my mind if that happened. <laughs> but um, Best Supporting Actress. That one, I think, will go to Alicia Vikander for The Danish Girl. But a lot of people think Kate Winslet will win for uh, Steve Jobs. That's tough. So yeah, that one's a that's that's a little bit tougher too. But I feel comfortable saying Alicia Vikander for the Danish Girl will win there. Yeah, and then best uh, best cinematography is kind of it has to be in the bag. It's in the bag. Yeah, Emmanuel Lubezki will win his third consecutive Oscar if he wins for that. Over the top. Who he, in my opinion, is the greatest cinematographer who's ever lived. (laughs) <laughs> Which pays that people are always like, oh, cinematography. No, that single-handedly can make or break a film. Yeah. Most of the time breaks. But, um, and best original screenplay. 
is it's probably in the bag of spotlight. Spotlight. I think some people, a lot of people are expecting straight out of Compton to win for a couple different reasons. The, or, the original screenplay is kind of their wild card every year, where generally the Oscars like to give the, the original screenplay award to films that they're too afraid to give best film. Like, we've seen Tarantino win that award, I believe, two or three times now. And he's never won Best Film just because his movies kind of push all the right buttons and push the envelope a little bit um, in a direction. While people love it, they don't necessarily universally embrace. Uh, we saw the movie Her win a couple years ago, which was a little bit too kind of yeah. bizarre for Best Picture. So a lot of people are saying Straight Outta Compton is kind of that more creative, that more kind of young leaning movie that people will embrace but i do think yeah spotlight will probably win i'd hope i yeah yeah i can you know with straight out of compton a lot of people were upset that that it, it didn't get more nominations for even best picture and i i you know i'm gonna play my my devil card here but uh i i didn't think it was that great mm -hmm. i liked the movie a lot but i don't think it was best movie of the year worthy at all damn i i would agree Con very controversial this year, though. Mm -hmm. A lot of controversy, kind of like a 360, 360 degree controversy surrounding this right now. Yeah, I think it'll result in, uh, may it'll be either the most watched broadcast in, a, in the last like 10 years, or it'll be like their least watched broadcast in yeah. the last 10 years. Yeah. It is a fickle business, that's for sure. Yeah. I'm but there, I damn it. Oh, I yeah. I would rather die than miss watching the Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> But on to buy the numbers, our weekly segment where we cover the top five grossing movies in the United States of America and also the occasional flops that do occur in modern cinema. Yes. So busy week this week. A lot mm -hmm. of people going to the movies. It's true. Do you want to do number five? Sure. All right. So number five this week is the uh, rom-com How to Be Symbol. Uh, <laughs> How to Be Symbol. How to Be Single, uh, which is, I believe it's... Second week? Yes, it's second week out in cinemas. In cinemas, listen to me. Uh, it had a weekend gross of $8.2 million with a total gross of $31.7 million on a budget of about 38 So it'll break even. Mm -hmm. uh, haven't heard a lot about it. I know Rebel Wilson is in it, and I hate her. So. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's, anno she's annoying, man. I don't know what to say. Number four is The Witch, which will be our movie of the week next week. Yes, sir. Um, this is its first national cinema release because it's been around for a while. But it grossed in eight, about $8.8 .8 million uh, in about 2,000 theaters. That is its uh, gross because this is first week on a budget of a mere $3.5 million. Yeah. Which is a very simple budget for movies. Yes, very small. Um and I'm very excited to see it. And I said simple. I meant small. Well, you know, that similar. Is simple. Same, same thing. Same difference. Right, so number three is Risen, the uh, uh, Jesus movie from Sony Studios, which made, which made a weekend gross of 11.8 million dollars. I don't know why that's so funny. The Jesus movie. 11.8 million dollars uh, and a budget of 20 million dollars. Uh, so it did pretty well and. Uh, every year we see like five or six of these kind of faith-based mm -hmm. movies and this one actually um, Has a bigger budget than a lot of them and has some pretty good actors in it And uh, a lot of people have kind of labeled it as an unofficial sequel to uh, the passion of the Christ Interesting which that which, is... which does make sense and I've actually heard it's pretty good because a lot of unfortunately for, for you know fans of these type of films a lot of these movies 
these faith-based movies aren't very good. And I've mm -hmm. heard actually quite a bit of uh, good things about this one. Yeah. So, made number three this I week. Just, I just laughed because I thought, what if somebody like left the theater and someone was like, what's that movie about? And some dude was just like, I don't know, some guy. <laughs> oh my God. No, that wouldn't happen. Number two is uh, Kung Fu Panda 3 from Fox. Um, 12.5 million. Uh, still doing very well. It's made $117 million on a $145 million budget. So it hasn't broken even again, though. This is going to be a heavy DVD film. And I think internationally this has made probably at least twice its budget. Who doesn't love pandas? Right, or kung fu. Or kung fu, for that matter. It's pretty cool. All right, and then the number one movie of the week was Deadpool. Uh, made $56.4 million this weekend with a total... An astronomical total of $236 million, almost $237 million, on just its second week on a very small budget of $58 million, which like I believe release. We believe almost half of that budget apparently was marketing alone, because apparently the film was actually produced for only about $30 million. Which is really impressive. Right, and this was a, a success in terms of its gross that was not anticipated. Mm -hmm. uh, with R rating, uh, a, a character who's relatively unknown among general audiences, uh, the good word of mouth and the, the pretty clever uh, advertising for this movie, I think, has really made it a huge hit. Yeah, that's, that's very impressive. Absolutely. And just like, I have to say, though, equally impressive, still in the top 10, Star Wars. The Force Awakens. Yeah, look at that. Still there, ten weeks. And the Revenant too, though. Yeah, the Revenant is in there. Ninth week. And I think we should mention too, there was a new release this week, Race, which is a, 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 a true story about a track uh, about Jesse, the Jesse Owens. Jesse Owens, yes, the yes. track and field uh, star in the '30s when he went to the uh, Olympics in Germany, right, but right on the cusp of World War II, and it was a very tearjerker happy story about uh you know minorities showing up and kind of showing who's who there you go I, i'd like to see that i've heard good things about it but it does look like it bombed but on look at that budget five million dollars yeah Holy crap i've heard good things i really want to see that movie but i uh, didn't do super well no not in its first week i know it was, it was advertised very heavily I have to wonder if that budget includes marketing and promotion. That's a big part of it. It seems kind of... I'm re even more interested in seeing that now because mm -hmm. you would think a period piece movie, if they're going to the Olympics in the 30s, I mean, I'm thinking just costumes and sets yeah. alone would be like $10 million. Well, and yeah. I don't, to, who's in it? I don't think anybody... The only major actor I know I recognize from the trailer was Jason Sudeikis, who's generally a comedic actor. Yeah. Um, but apparently he's really good in the movie too. I, I don't know. I want to see it. Huh. Well, that's the by the numbers section. Deadpool is the king this king week by a lot. By a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. a lot of <laughs> people are going close. to see that. If you haven't already, go see it. Mm-hmm. No bombs on here. No, not really. Hail Caesar's in the in the green. Yeah. We did that last time. Well, and that's about. Having seen the movie and knowing what it's like, I'm not surprised it didn't perform better. I think the word of mouth for Hail Caesar has been pretty negative, but uh, like we said last time, uh, we think it's a movie that'll find its audience over time. Yep. All right. Well, we'll be right back, and when we come back, we're going to do our album of the week. And uh, in the breaks, you'll be hearing uh, music from that album, and this album, along with millions of others, are obviously available on music streaming services. 
Uh, unless you feel like a pirate, you can always steal it. Wouldn't recommend it. Unless you're stealing Kanye West's album, then go oh, ahead. Oh, please. Go ahead go and do ahead. it. He's probably going to rant about us on Twitter now. I don't care. All right. Do it. Hashtag us. Hashtag. Kanye. We'll get more followers. Yep. We'll probably get like a 10,000. That'd be sweet. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> Alright, Weekly Neuros, we'll be right back with Album of the Week, DMX in the break. You sure? I could have swore it was over a hoe. Nah, nah, that ain't my style. Nigga, you stay frightened, but you still my man. I ain't gonna say nothing. That's a week. Go ahead, smoke it. What? Go ahead, drink it. Work? Go ahead and fuck shorty. You know I can keep a secret. Right. I'm about to have you driving. Probably it bends, but we gotta stay friends. Blood out, blood in. Sounds good to me. Fuck it. What I got to lose? Mm. Nothing I can think of. Any nigga would choose. Got me pushing the whip, taking trips across seas. Pockets stay late, nigga. I flush yeah. yeah. Welcome back in to Weekly Neurosis. It's time for Album of the Week. And uh, this week... Our featured album is from DMX, the 1998 release. Go ahead. Yes, sir. This is Mr. Hip Hop Artist DMX. Mr. Hip Hop Artist. <laughs> album, It's Dark and Hell is Hot. Uh, this is the debut studio album for DMX and was originally released May 19th, 1998. The album peaked at number one on the Billboard charts and he also released four singles as well, all to wide critical acclaim. The album is estimated to have sold over 4.6 million copies and was RIAA certified as four times platinum. And some uh, recording and production notes on this, it was recorded at four different studios, but was primarily recorded in New York City. So what did you think, Nate? Well, I think this album's great. And I, for me, this is one of those albums that's like the term classic kind of comes into play. Because mm -hmm. it was like his debut album I remember the first time I listened to it. Nice. But I think he, when I first heard him, he has, and I, I think I said this off air, he's one of the best, in my opinion, in my opinion the best, second to Biggie Smalls, voice for hip-hop. Because he's so unique. Yeah. So gritty. But cover to cover, this album kind of gropes you in, and it's so aggressive. And you kind of have to put yourself in the, the shoes of someone at in 1998. Because to this point, it was all like Puff Daddy and kind of that poppy hip-hop. And then he kind of came out with this just grit. And he's talking about just spitting on people and doing all this violent stuff. But I, I, I this is one of my favorite albums of all time. Nice. Yeah, man. I, I really like this, too. I'm, I, I've listened to DMX in the past. Not a whole lot. So listening to this again uh, kind of blew me away. And this is really, when, I, when it comes to hip-hop music, this is... This is the kind of album I seek out. An album that had, like, the production is there, the music is there, uh, but also, more importantly to me, the lyrics are there. It's, 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 an, it's a type of album where, unfortunately, a lot of people who don't consider these type, this type of music as deeply as others will listen to and just kind of shake their head at and say, oh, this is just, you know, ignorant garbage and these are just a bunch of gangbangers and all this crap. But if you listen to this music and have that open mind and understand what they're saying, this is the kind of album that paints such an amazing portrait of what life in these types of places is like that it really just puts you there, as well as being entertaining and having some you know, really great songs that would just blast really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really, really like this album. And if you like look at the lyrics that he wrote and actually there's somewhere out there you can see the actual he like wrote these in like a notebook hmm. and it's like there's abbreviated words left and right but yeah it does paint this picture of what his world was kind of like 
at that moment in time and he kind of came from this this horrible place but it, the sound of it the production value on it even though to most like modern hip-hop fans it probably sounds very minimalist mm -hmm. but at the time the production value is really high yeah and it has a lot of like the the beat on, on rough riders anthem is probably up there at that moment in time of the best beats that have ever come out and get at me dogs another one but yes the, and if you look at the the production credits it's basically a who's who of maybe like three or four years later who became like these big producers that produce these huge albums but this was meteoric when it came out for good reason you know four million albums sold so it, again timeless absolutely time well maybe not timeless but that's not a good word to use sure but classic but yeah i agree about the production on here it's it is simple and actually speaking of modern hip-hop maybe this does sound a little dated and uh maybe a little bit old school but i think we've kind of seen a swing back to a lot of these styles people like earl sweatshirt i think yeah. have a, a at least a production sound very similar to this it's very kind of bass driven and just almost dreadful sounding but yeah it has that just that baseline that it's just it's so consistent all the way through but uh you know the thing that really blew me away with this album was again his lyrics he sounds and his delivery like you said he's got a very unique delivery you know for sure you're listening to dmx but uh you, you know the dude is mean he's angry he's violent he has that edge to not only his voice but his lyrics but there are tons of moments on this where he turns around from that and he can be surprisingly soft-spoken at the same time, and it can be very uh, context or contextual and very clever. But uh, I think the main theme for me on this album is kind of he recognizes the hypocrisy of the things he's kind of rapping about in his lyrics, where he'll be talking about robbing people, shooting people, you know, uh, you know, being a terrible person. But then he'll turn around and acknowledge that. And he talks about how, what am I supposed to do? This is the life I've been put into and I can try to get a job and I've tried that, mm -hmm. but it doesn't pan out. It doesn't work in this world, in this neighborhood. What am I supposed to do? And there's a real, there's a real conflict here and he's really able to get that conflict put out there where I can listen to this album and be like, I, I get this. Like I get, I totally understand like that on one hand, what he's doing is bad, but he knows, he knows it. And that's why the album is called it's dark and hell is hot. He's, he's afraid of going to hell, but he doesn't know how else to act. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's... and he definitely kind of encapsulates that helplessness, kind of in how, I guess that kind of fits with how his delivery goes, but yeah, uh, just just an amazing album. And yeah, for his debut, this is, I think, the second or third debut we've done. Well, that's true. Well, an, there's a lot of albums to sell on your debut, to 4.6. What are some of your standout songs in here? Do you have any? Well, and again, I kind of had to go back to the hits, and those were ultimately the releases, but Rough Riders Anthem, Get At Me Dog, um, and How It's Going Down, featuring okay. Faith Evans, which is it's kind of odd to see her on this, because at the time, she was a big star at that moment in time, but she appeared on this album. But hmm. those are three, I think, the anchor songs for this album. Well, it's funny, because I didn't know, I mean, I couldn't tell you a single song that was a you know, a, a hit because mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, I'm not real uh, super savvy on the 90s hip hop and what was exactly popular and everything. So, yeah, but my favorite songs, definitely Rough Riders, Anthem, uh, Look Through My Eyes, Get At Me, Dog were standouts. And those were good. Those two songs were good examples of him being kind of conflicted and showing, you know, the things he's doing with how he feels about what he's doing. 
Oh, so I was going to say, with, yeah, with Get At Me Dog, I feel like you're hearing him just scream at you. Yeah. Like through the, it's, it's, it's like almost cerebral. For sure. I think my two favorite songs in this album, though, were Damien and The Convo. Yeah. I thought that was really, really ingenious. And then songs like ATF and Crime Story were more narrative type songs. Mm -hmm. Crime Story was kind of this wild story of this you know this guy in almost a killing streak kind of thing where he's running away from the cops and he doesn't know what to do and it's pretty intense stuff yeah <laughs> and he's an intense guy i think that the headlines have kind of masked the fact i feel like he's a really intelligent person yeah I he think doesn't so too. he masks it behind a lot of this stuff but mm -hmm. again rock solid album Mm -hmm. Crazy. Brings back brings back a lot of memories. What would you rate this though, one to ten? Well, I'm gonna give it an eight point five out of ten because I, you know, I gushed about it pretty hardcore, but I do think there are some filler moments on it. There's a, like, there's maybe two or three tracks on here that are real short, mm -hmm. two minutes, maybe even less. There's a there's one skit on here called Mickey, which is like ten seconds long, and it just kind of seems like okay. It seemed kind of pointless to me. There's a couple moments that seem maybe a little bit half-baked, but overall this is awesome stuff. So yeah. 8.5. So I'm going to match my score to Deadpool. Wow. Huh. Look okay. at that. And he's in his, he's on the soundtrack. Yes, that's right. Even in the trailer, though, not, not a song from this album is played over the... This, mm -hmm. the yeah, but uh, yes, yes, yes. And I had a 9 out of 10. Nine. Again, for the same reasons. I feel like it's a lot of hits and good songs, and they didn't really know what to do. It, I think they would have benefited by making this like a 12, 13 track album it's like 19 know? tracks I yeah think. It's it, there's a lot of filler but yeah yeah i actually have a few like stories from my personal network of friends about dmx that are just nuts okay everyone of every single one of them is nuts i have one of uh, a friend of mine went to purdue university and apparently dmx came to this frat party that he was at and came out and it was just like he had no shirt on and like a chain like an actual like chain you know, like you'd chain a fence mm -hmm, shut mm -hmm. around his neck and he was like, you think you can drink? And then he like Jeez. chugged an entire bottle of Hennessy and then <laughs> proceeded to do his show. That's like ridiculous. Like just like crazy stories like that. This is a man who's been arrested 23, 23 times. 23 times, documented. Yes. Documented 23 times. Just recently almost died. That's right. We talked about that. Yeah. Crazy. But on to our, our high priority news items, the Grammy Awards have come and gone. Mm-hmm. Winners, some a lot of losers. There's a ton of losers technically at the More losers than winners. Grammy, yeah. That's why why it's so special to be a winner. But we will uh, talk about that right now. So the the big one again, well record of the year, which we're still kinda of, we were kinda of confused what the difference between record and song. and song was, but record of the year went to Uptown Funk by Mark Ronson and Bruno Mars. Mm -hmm. uh, really loved by D'Angelo and the Vanguard, Thinking Out Loud by Ed Sheeran, Blank Space, Taylor Swift, and Can't Feel My Face by The Weeknd were in the loser circle. Yep, I never heard That's the song. My, up, never heard the song Uptown Funk, so I can't comment on it. Yeah, I've seen it a, <laughs> or, or heard it a, a minimum amount of times. I know that the only song in here that I can I can speak to is Can't Feel My Face. I hmm. like that song a lot. I like Really Love by D'Angelo and the Vanguard. Okay, you know what? No, I know that too. I, know, I don't know it as well as the Weeknd song though. But yeah, yeah, that was... So that's like the the biggest award of the night then, right? Yeah, that's like the last one they announced. Hmm. Interesting. But okay. the apparently second most important, which to me is the most important, but Album of the Year went to 1989 by Taylor Swift. 
Um, Taking Over Sound and Color by the Alabama Shakes, To Pippa Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar, Traveler by Chris Stapleton, and Beauty Behind the Madness, The Weeknd. Yeah, I'm kind of pissed. <laughs> yeah, and I was too, but honestly, when it comes down to it, and we might disagree on this, I, I can make a case for why she was nominated and no, won I get this it. award. I totally understand that her album isn't the best album of the year, not by, not by any musical means. Yeah. Well, I think, and again, I think a lot of this, they're judging it by, like, hits. Well, that's good, and, but I don't care about know, that. But, yeah. I don't think that in, in 10 years anybody will give one shit about 1989 by Taylor Swift. Yeah, and I don't think she bent a genre quite as much as... Well, she didn't do anything. I've heard the know, album Kendrick before. Lamar I don't did. think she did anything special. She's yeah. a, she's. A, I mean, she's not bad. She's a pretty cookie-cutter pop, I guess, country singer-songwriter who is, you know, she writes maybe above average tunes, but there's, it's so bland, it's so by the numbers, it's it's that way because it, it, it appeals yeah. to so many people. And if I may interject, she gets, in my opinion and my kind of knock on her, is that she gets too much credit for going from the country bumpkin to the pop star. Who cares? And that's the thing is that can last you for one, okay, you release one new album that's cool, you know, I, I to me, if I had to pick, it would have been Kendrick Lamar because that that album was so perfect. Obviously, yeah. 1989 was not on my top ten. No, but it wasn't on my top 500. <laughs> uh, just you know, I, this politics. I get no, the I, no, and I get it. But you know, going back to the order of how these awards are given out. Okay, I don't mean to hate on Taylor Swift. She's not that bad. I just don't think she's that great. Anyways. I thought it was like three or four years ago where Album of the Year was the last award of the night because when Arcade Fire won for their album The Suburbs and they beat out a bunch of much more famous yeah. people, that was the last award of the night. So I, I, I guess I need to research what the deal is. With, with Record of the Year. Yeah, Record. Or the next one we want to talk about, Song of the Year. Yeah. Song of the Year, the big winner was Thinking Out Loud by Ed Sheeran, um, All Right by Kendrick Lamar, Blank Space, Taylor Swift, Girl Crush by Little Big Town, and See See You Again by Wiz Khalifa featuring Charlie Puth were, were nominated. Cool. cool. I can, I, I, to me, Ed Sheeran's... The only song I know of his is the one that was in the second Hobbit movie. Yeah. Otherwise, I've never heard a song of him that I know... Well, I was actively listening to Ed Sheeran. Yeah. I've heard some of his songs, and it's fine. He's good. Honestly, I would have rather seen All Right, which is kind of a stretch, or honestly, Girl Crush by Little Big Town, for the simple reason that for a country band to release an, a song that was as good as that about basically a woman loving another woman in the country genre, that's that's kind of earth-shattering. But he's he's got the... Uh, Yep. the megaphone. Mm-hmm. So best new artist, and we're gonna we're gonna we'll talk about this. Yeah, this we're is gonna, fun. This is a fun we're one. We're gonna go deep on this one. <laughs> oh man, you got a lot of stuff here. I like. Oh it. yeah. So the best new artist went to Megan Trainer. Uh, in that category, Courtney Barnett, James Bay, Sam Hunt, and Tori Kelly were nominated. Mm-hmm. And Megan Trainer won. And Megan Trainer won. If I had to rate them one through five, and I won't go through four through one, I'd say Megan Trainer would be five. Absolutely. From a simple skill standpoint. I would have been happy with Sam Hunt or Courtney Barnett winning. I don't know Tori Kelly or James Bay, so I can't and speak I do on know, that. I know them, and they're both very, very talented 
independent artists. I feel like all these are, the other four are people who made themselves on their simple artistic merit. And then you have this person who is a singer. She's kind of a singer songwriter by trade. She's a total manufactured. She's, yeah, that's she's she's a she's a she was put together by record labels to be an image of a plus size woman who's doing pretty by the numbers music. And there's nothing wrong with being a plus size woman, but she was picked for the sole purpose that she doesn't look like your typical pop star. Yeah. and she's been put to this music that is so forgettable. And so just pathetically lazy that I don't understand how how she's considered best new artist. I just don't get it. Which she has writing credit on every single song on her album this past year. Yeah, and they're, it's but not it's good. But it's real easy to get your name on a writing credit. You just have to change one word. Not only that, Literally. but if you've listened to her album, which is the, al the title of the album, by the way, is title. It's a bad album. There's not a single good song and it is all bubblegum throwaway pop music that nobody will give a shit about yeah and i mean when i look at the list of artists that are nominated i mean courtney barnett and i'd say tori kelly i think they have more talent i think tori kelly kind of is the one that falls into the same genre as megan trainer okay. i think tori kelly is infinitely more gifted vocally than her okay. um james but courtney barnett's shtick isn't barnett's... really her vocal power it's but she's, her she's original sure she's raw and yeah. she's ferocious she's got kind of a unique thing james bay sam hunt same deal is sam Very, hunt he's a, a country okay you know what i was thinking sam smith the dude who did the specter song i don't know who sam hunt is he then. was a past award winner of this award sam smith yeah huh okay interestingly enough but um i went through and i dug deep on this <laughs> This award the, specifically. The Best New Artist Award. The Best New Artist Award. So out of the the past 30, um, t only 20 were ever nominated for a Grammy again. And only 18 went on to win an award again. Mm -hmm. And more recently, we'll kind of jump ahead, the more recent winners have been very controversial. Uh, bon Iver, Fun, Macklemore, and Ryan Lewis. Those are the three that you can focus on. Because Sam Smith won it just just a year ago, so it's kind of hard to to regroup. But Bon Iver, he's he released one good album and then kind of disappeared. Sure. I don't think I've ever heard of him really touring. Fun still has not released another album, and Macklemore and Ryan Lewis just like this week released another album. Mm -hmm. And when you look who they beat out, it's very kind of you know controversial. Um, Bon Iver won over Nicki Minaj and J. Cole, both of whom I'd say are more prominent than him now. Um, and Macklemore and Ryan Lewis won over Kendrick Lamar. That's so, ridiculous. Wasn't that the same year when they beat Kendrick Lamar for best hip-hop album, too? Yep. That's ridiculous. So, I, you know, when you look at the tracker, to me, if you get nominated as the best new artist, you've got a good thing going for you. And, and there's a lot of, way back, if you dig way back, Millie, Millie Vanilli won it, and they had to vacate the award because they literally were not, didn't do their own album, meaning it was not their voices recording the album. They were lip-syncing it. They were lip-syncing. Yeah. In 1990, new Mark Cohen won it over Boys to Men and Seal. That's crazy. He didn't do I anything. I couldn't tell you who Mark Cohen is, but I know who Boys to Men and Seal is. He didn't do anything. 
1998, Paula Cole won over Fiona Apple and Puff Daddy. Same story. Same I, story. I know Fiona Apple and Puff Daddy, but not Paula Cole. And in 2001, Shelby Lynn won it. She'd had 13 previous albums released. That's the one thing about this category that Which really confuses me. How a lot of times this whole new artist thing isn't actually a new artist. Uh, yeah. I don't interest, know. Very interesting. And then in 2011, Esperanza Spalding. Mm -hmm. This one I wanted to point out because people are pissed about this, but that was one of the best moments of my I, life. Yeah, I think I think she's very unique, but it's very controversial. She went over Nicki Minaj. I remember, and, or not Nicki. Oh my gosh. Drake. Sorry, Drake and Justin Bieber. I remember P, Drake, uh, Justin Bieber fans were like making death threats to her and stuff. And she's a like a jazz musician. Yeah. She, she's like a cellist and a bass guitarist. Beating Justin Bieber was a big deal. Like original, but like the standing bass is what yeah, she plays. Yeah, yeah, which right. Is like well, she's a cellist and really she plays a stand-up bass, right? But that again, it's always been kind of a controversial category. Yeah, to me, it's just it's flawed. I think they, to me, they're some of the people they pick. I mean, this is to me maybe the biggest example of the Grammys picking popularity over quality mm -hmm. because. 90% of what the Grammys are is picking the most popular or most recognizable uh, artists, quote-unquote artists. And uh, when you have a category like new artists, you can't exactly pick people who are popular because they're new. And a lot of new artists don't have a lot of fans. So if this, if this category was actually representative of the best new artists, it would look totally different. It's kind of a joke. Yeah. It's kind of a joke. And when you look at the other people that they, that she was, Megan Trainer was, you know, nominated with, I, I think each and every one of them, I would hope, will go on to climb higher heights than she did. She ever will. Well, in her, I think, I hope, I don't think, I hope she releases some good music. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think she has. I don't think she deserves this award. I think it's just a total fabricated it's just a totally constructed album and I mean I hope that she maybe finds a niche and has some real inspiration but it's just a shame that some somebody who has so little originality was able to give be given this award yeah and I'll be real frank about it you know I don't think she has the vocal talent to sing right out of a box no you know and once that auto-tune cuts out honey She's got. It. She's gonna have another thing coming. Well, like I said, and I don't. Mean, I hope this isn't offensive, but a lot of her appeal is that she's a plus size girl. Yeah. She has. She. She's. She's. She looks different. She doesn't fit that cookie cutter mold of how a pop star. And I think that's great. I think that's fantastic. But you shouldn't make it on those merits alone. Just because you look different doesn't mean you should necessarily make it. Yeah. I think Adele is a, a an example. I don't personally care for Adele all that much. I think she's an example of somebody who doesn't fit that pop star image, but she makes it on talent. Like, she's yeah. a good vocalist. Like, in terms of the performance, there were 17 performances, though. That's crazy. I was I was at the gym, actually, when this was on, and oddly enough, I was listening to, like, death metal, but I had, <laughs> I, like, had the Grammys going, just with subtitles going, so I was, like, watching some of these performances when mm -hmm. I was listening to death metal, and that was kind of funny, but when I got home, I was able to uh, watch... I think I saw Lady Gaga's David Bowie thing, which there was some controversy about that, but I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. I saw I saw that tail end of Kendrick Lamar's performance, which was kind of the talk of the town after this. And I think I saw saw one other one, but it didn't must Oh, I saw uh, Chris Stapleton and um, 
Gary Clark Jr. doing a, 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 a memorial to B.B. King, which yeah. was pretty good, too. Yeah. But I felt like there were so many performances. I was like, how many? And then I looked back on it, 17 in total. Crazy. Craziness. But the big winner of the night, obviously, was Kendrick Lamar. Thank goodness. Not for any major award categories. He was in a lot of the category hip-hop based and stuff but he took the most awards home with five grammys uh the alabama shakes who i could throw out a window and taylor swift <laughs> they had three awards each and then there were 13 artists and i should say also producers that won two awards uh the lowest winning percentage was actually a producer who's nominated for 11 categories only one and two wow. Ooh. cool yeah, yeah. that's a, the grammys are weird though because their their list of awards is like twice as big as most conventional awards ceremonies are but they only air like 10 of them mm -hmm. and they have like crazy categories like best spoken word album best repackaged jazz i'm just making stuff up but i mean they have some crazy stuff i know um jack white's label third man records won a grammy for it was like best repackaged album or something and it was actually from a, a a series that they released called the paramount blues volume one which is P paramount blues was actually a blues label that was played that started in grafton wisconsin in the 20s there's actually no way. there's actually a blues festival that i've gone to the last couple of years that's set in the same kind of area where where paramount blues used to be and last year jack white uh bought all of their old recordings because he's a big proponent proponent of old uh of old blues music and he spent all this money remastering them and they put out this massive box set of their entire collection of music and that won some behind the scenes grammy hmm. isn't that interesting they have all those no, i was reading awards. through all the the package and honestly i did download two of these spoken word albums because i'm very <laughs> i'm honestly interested in what that's about and i'll find time to read it but um sweet onto our what's unfortunately been a weekly segment for us now the kanye west watch we need like a sound bit. This this week in the saga, no one is safe. Oh my god. Bob Erson. This is just. Well, hold, hold on. We up. should we should start by saying he really Kanye released his new his album, album, The Life of Pablo. Yeah. To to uh, decidedly mixed reviews. Yeah, very mixed reviews. But Bob Erson, a veteran music producer with a long resume, including, and I'm gonna go through each of these. Fish, Alice Cooper, Kiss, Pink Floyd, Lou Reed, The Kings, Hanoi Rocks, Taylor Swift, Peter Gabriel, Rod Stewart, Nine Inch Nails, 30 Seconds to Mars, The Darkness, We Went to See Them Live, Jane's Addiction, Kansas, and The Deftones, among many others. He wrote a essay, not a review, an essay of his latest album, The Life of Pablo, and he criticized it, and he wasn't safe. So he said it was a sophomore, sophomoric review at best, he went on to say that, but in spite of what the aspirationally cool media keeps saying about him, unlike other creators in his genre, like Jay-Z, Tupac, Biggie, or even MC Hammer, for that matter, it's unlikely that we'll be, quote, we'll be able to quote too many of Kanye's songs 20 years from now. Which couldn't agree more with that statement. Yeah. But he went on a Twitter rant. Kanye had a response. Which is... Has everybody ever heard of Rob Erzin? <laughs> what the fuck does he know about rap? And then he said, I'm tired of old people that have no connection with anything commenting on music. Yep. 
And then there were like 50 more tweets that I didn't even copy down. Yeah, he um he uh, went on a real rant. I mean, many of late, but uh, you know, I kind of I kind of agree with with Erzin on this deal. Um, I don't think in terms of oh man, we could talk, we could write a thesaurus, a thesaurus. We could write a a, a what am I thinking of? What what word am I thinking of? We could write a. Isn't it like thesaurus, like the? No, not a thesaurus. A thesis. Thesis. That's statement. what I meant to say. We could write a thesis, a, an entire doctorate, doctoral essay on Kanye West. But I agree with him. I think that Kanye West removed from his music each things his social persona on one side and his music on the other, divorced from each other, are completely uninteresting things. Kanye West is all about cultural context. If you were to listen to his album, The Life of Pablo, and have no idea who the artist was, everybody who's saying it's a masterpiece would give a shit less about it and probably give it a middle-of-the-road review and say it's unfocused, it's messy, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, there's some good songs here and there, the lyrics are kind of stupid, blah, blah, blah. It wouldn't be real positive. But his weird albums of late paired with his crazy crazy persona in social media just makes headline gold and that's what it's all about it's all about context and unfortunately for mr west well right now he can say well i'm on headlines all the time i'm the biggest deal in the world when you re remove that context from the music there the, it's just not there somebody like the doors a group like the doors in the 60s and 70s where they were very controversial because of jim morrison being an absolutely insane person, ranting, yeah, raving, yeah. getting into fights. Divorced, his personality divorced from his music didn't matter because their music was good enough to stand the test of time. I think Kanye West's music, while he does have some really good songs, certainly, I don't think that when you divorce those things in 20, 30 years, if you don't understand the context, the music kind of just falls flat, in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong, but I kind of agree with Bob Erzin on I this. agree too, and I think his most... Like, there's, like, maybe ten songs, right, that you're going to remember over your lifetime and be able to sing along to. I'd say there's a small portion of society at this point. His most prominent hit is probably going to be Gold Digger. And that was one of his first songs. And that was one of his, that was back when he still had teddy bears on his albums, <laughs> which was his theme for a long time. And that's when he still had good albums, good core albums. He had some amazing fucking albums back in the day. But yeah. since then... We've gone to this bizarre, like you said on a previous episode, this beep beep bop, messed this up, wannabe experimental crap. Ugh. No, and it doesn't work. I agree with Erzin, and you know Kanye is just trying to stay relevant. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we're moving into a whole new type of pop culture relevancy where that whole with the internet age and, and everything being recorded on Facebook and Twitter, maybe with those things being into play now, we'll see that people younger than us, there there is no divorcing their that social context from the music. And maybe that's an interesting thing we could talk about down the, down the line, but I'm the kind of person who likes to look at music for music. And while I don't think Kanye West's new album, The Life of Pablo, is is terrible necessarily, or his last album, I don't think they're necessarily trash and terrible and worth not listening to, but they're not these these great masterpieces that some of his fans want you to think they are. There yeah. really is just a lot of throwaway stuff on them. Yeah. Well, this is a conversation for another day, and we will. Again, we're going to have ongoing updates. We should have a Kanye West episode. 
Just nothing but Kanye West. We just listen to Kanye West. He's been in movies, hasn't he? He was in Anchorman 2. They blew him up with a rocket launcher and that. There we go. That's our key in. <laughs> but the Kanye West watch will likely be back yeah. next week. This is, this is, I am, okay. Ugh. That's the, it's the lay of the land, man. Okay. Mm. But on to, uh, finally, obsessions. And you can know exactly what we're obsessed about. Mm-hmm. Ethan, what are you obsessed with right now? Well, I am obsessed, my friend, with uh, the classic rock group uh, Grateful Dead. Um, a couple of weeks ago. Dead Guy Ale. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Maria comes full circle to Dead Guy Ale. But um, a couple of weeks ago, the, the, the newest incantation of Grateful Dead, uh, entitled Dead and Company, announced their summer tour and of course Jer- anybody who's familiar with Grateful Dead will know that Jerry Garcia was one of their leading men for the majority of their career and he passed away in the early 90s and they've continued touring in different forms um, and their latest form has Mr. John Mayer uh, basically taking Jerry Garcia's place and also um, Phil Lesh their longtime bass guitarist isn't touring with them either but long story short they announced a two-night concert at Alpine Valley, which is a pretty famous concert hall in Wisconsin, in East Troy, Wisconsin, which is um, a couple hours uh, north of Chicago as well, and they're playing two nights in a row, and me and my wife April got tickets for both nights, and we're camping out, and we're going to both nights, and uh, I'm super pumped, and I've been listening to just all, so so much grateful that, so much. Bob Weir is their guitarist, right? Yes. And his, he there's, is a bas- doc, there's a documentary about him that's exceptional. Yes, it's called The Other One. Yep. Um, really good. He, yes, him and Jerry Garcia were the two, basically the two leading songwriters in Grateful Dead throughout the bulk of their, their career. And actually, Bob Weir sang, I would argue, more leading vocals than Jerry Garcia did, but he was always the rhythm guitarist um, versus the uh, lead guitarist. Um, I mean, I'm so beyond excited for this whole weekend event. I just, I, I don't even know what to say about it. I'm so pumped. Nice. That's How about awesome, you? Man. What do you, what do you, what do you got your brain on? Well, three things right now: boxing, I'm watching a lot of boxing, and <laughs> kind of refamiliar, familiarizing myself with the contenders and champions and things. Because I was actually raised with boxing. It's kind of been a lifelong thing for me. <laughs> The second is Anderson Pack. Oh, okay. Still listening to that album, Malibu. It's a good album. It's a good album. Love it. And the third is love, the series Love. Oh, nice. Judd Apatow. I, just something about it, it kind of connects kind of the lost 30-year-old genre. Like people that are 30 years old and just lost. You're feeling it, man. I'm feeling it, man. Midlife crisis, Ethiopian Qu- style. Midlife crisis? I would say quarter-life <laughs> quarter crisis. Quarter-life crisis. I'm probably going to live to be 120. No, but um, yeah, that's that's those are my obsessions. Pretty simple. And trying to figure out this mixer, which is down here. Oh yes, in the near future we will be vastly improving our uh, sound quality. Yeah. Um, I'll be over here just fiddling all the time, not no. saying anything. You'll pay attention. You'll be like, Nate, it's album of the week. And I'll we'll throw like, a shot of tequila in your face. <laughs> I hope I didn't rant too much about Kanye West or Megan Trainor. I feel like I said some things, man. Hey. This is the beauty of a podcast. You can say whatever you want. That's true. I guess if people don't like it, let us know. Let us know. <laughs> and you can still enroll in the contest to be the first person to comment on our Facebook wall. Which 
Might be blocked. But anyhow. I think we might. We had an issue with our face, with some social media woes on Facebook with them not letting people like our page. Uh, kind of made me real angry. And actually, Nate is now in control of Facebook, and I will be in control of Twitter and Instagram, ah. where you should follow us at Weekly Neurosis. All of them. Yes. W E E K L Y. <laughs> Not even gonna spell neurosis. Well, maybe that's but the harder N -E -U -R -O -S -I -S. word to spell. N e u r o s i s. You did it. Weekly neurosis at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everything. And we're on there. Look us up. Comment on our Facebook page. I will literally read anything you write. And we will send you ten thousand hypothetical dollars. Yes. <laughs> or bucks. Then you can punch them ten times. Ten thousand times. What? What are you talking about? You say, like, oh, I'll give you 10 bucks, then you punch him 10 times. Oh, that's that's funny. That's like, get a... But anyhow, <laughs> Weekly Neurosis. Next week, we're going to be for sure reviewing The Witch. Yes, we haven't picked an album yet, but if you follow us on any of our aforementioned social media platforms, we will most likely announce what we're discussing yep. in advance. So you can catch up or just mentally prepare for me to rant about Megan Trainor and Kanye West. This is going to be it. We're just going to... That's, that's the end of the podcast. Actually, next week, we're only going to talk about Kanye West. <laughs> it's a, one hour and 30 minutes. Of Kanye West. Of Kanye West. No. Please, no. Been a heck of a time. Yes, Weekly sir. Neurosis, the hell episode. We'll be back next week. We're out. I'm, I'm Nate. And I am Ethan. Everybody, please take care.